Hi, hello, everybody. Welcome to Stop Questioning Everything, the official Drug Receipts podcast. Drug Receipts is the brand that always delivers mind-altering substance. Um, we are bringing Web3 to streetwear and streetwear to Web3 through digital and physical wearables. We promote the pillars of art and subversion, science and skepticism, and community and sport. And we're going to be touching on a lot of those tonight. I'm your host, Arlo Eisenberg, the founder and artist behind Drug Receipts. It's Thursday, December 8th. It is Friday, December 9th in New Zealand. This is episode number 23, and we have a really interesting and special episode scheduled for you tonight. We're going to talk about the infamous history of Destroy All Girls, uh, the wash instruction, hang tag, um, laundry label that we put into our t-shirts when uh, Brooke and I had a brand 30 years ago, um, Senate, an action sports streetwear brand called Senate. And there was an infamous episode where uh, I had snuck the slogan, destroy all girls into the hang tags. Um, we're going to get into a very detailed and thoughtful discussion about that. Uh, we'll talk about the evolved attitudes. Since then, we will take a more mature perspective uh, on the implications of that episode. Um, and I'll be joined by some special guests for, for some thoughtful discussion. If you're listening on a streaming service, just know that we will be sharing some visual content, photos and videos. Uh, we have a couple of interesting videos uh, directly from the archives, specifically relating to all the um, flare-ups surrounding the Destroy All Girls incident. So it's if you want to see it, we suggest that you join uh, us on the live stream on YouTube, or you can always watch it later on our YouTube channel at Drug Receipts. Um, but most of what we're going to talk about today will happen in your minds. It's just going to be thoughtful, um, insightful conversation. So you should be able to get through it without any issues if you are listening. Um, the inspiration for today's episode really came from the females collection that just recently minted from Crypto Walkers. Drug Receipts did a collaboration with Crypto Walkers uh, to include a wearable inside the females collection. So some of the females will be minting and they will be wearing a custom onesie designed by Drug Receipts. The onesie film, uh, the onesie contains some traits that refer back to, you know, my entire legacy of artistic output, but that includes the Senate years and Ghost Brand and Franco Shade, some other projects that I've been involved with. Uh, but so it is called the uh, Kill Team Onesie. Um, back when Brooke and I had Senate, our pro riders, we had a roster of pro riders, and the name of the team was called the Senate Kill Team. Um, but so since Destroy All Girls uh, caused so much controversy at the time, and we will talk more about that, uh, but at the center of it, right, is the relationship or these dynamics between men and women. Um, and, you know, cultural attitudes toward uh, women, uh, especially, you know, coming from uh, people like myself uh, who are in positions of power, or who have, you know, marketing at my disposal or who have young, impressionable skaters kind of following uh, whatever we put out. So we'd like to compare and contrast kind of the climate um, at the time of the early to mid 90s when we were doing Senate. Uh, and when we put out Destroy All Girls and compare that to what's going on now with drug receipts and this latest collaboration with Crypto Walkers and their females collection. 
So it's quite an interesting story. The journey, I think, is interesting. And um, there's a lot of uh, related conversations that will spring out of this that we will love to get into. But I'm not going uh, down this road alone. I've got some people that are, are, are going to join me on this journey. So I would like to bring up onto stage now um, Dia and Lulu. Hi, Dia. Hello, Arlo. Oh, and Hello, Stadler. Hi, Hello. Dia. Hi, Lulu. Welcome. Thank you. I, I should. I guess I should point out. I don't even know if this is necessary, but because of the, I think the optics of this, the reason you guys are here is because originally this was scheduled as a skeptic podcast. Uh, the way that our podcast programming is designed now is it alternates between sort of general drug receipts um, uh, material that will feature, you know, some special guest to talk about a project or something related to drug receipts, and then every other week will be something skeptically themed. Uh, usually we will come up with th a theme that we do a deep dive on. And Dia, you and Lulu and I, we all meet every week to talk about skeptical programming. And as we were preparing for this week's podcast, one of the elements, just sort of a segment <laughs> that was going to be nestled into our, our broader show was going to be something about Destroy All Girls. Uh, we just thought that it, it kind of fit with the what's going on in the wider world of drug receipts with the females collection. I just thought it was a good time to, to, you know, talk about it since there hasn't really been an opportunity since we did destroy all girls 30 years ago, but to go on record and really talk about it, talk about, you know, the, some of the thinking that went into it, where, where our heads were at, but also talk about how our attitudes and perspectives may have evolved since then. And also, well, that's, that's true. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. It, it's something that he, that has, been coming up in our in our community you know kind of just raising its head over and over again um in small ways and so it seemed like this was just a really great time to address it fully and directly and and sort of go on the record with with what's going on with it now especially for drug receipts since the brand it it leans so much into my history and my graphic history and we you know we we draw on you know, a lot of the imagery and the themes that I've used in my past. And so, yes, I, I agree. I think it's a good time to lay it all bare and bring it out into the open so we can um, make sure that we're all on the same page and have an opportunity to address anyone's um, concerns about those kinds of things. Uh, now, but speaking to the optics of having you guys on, I, kind of the reason I'm explaining this away is I don't want people to think it's like, oh, Arlo, you know, they're going to talk about Destroy All Girls. So Arlo called every woman that he knows and asked them to join him on the podcast. That's actually, it. trust me, I am happy that it's working out this way, but that's not originally how this came to be. I okay. can definitely vouch for that. <laughs> One of the true. first questions I think that people will ask, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but Lulu, since you're here, you know, people will always say, well, you know, did it change your perspective on things once you had a daughter, you know? to change how you feel about having done Destroy All Girls. And I'm not going to answer that directly now, but we will get into it a little bit later. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to go way back. We're going to jump into our time machine and we will look into the history of Senate because that's important for setting kind of the context um, and giving a little bit of background uh, to what, you know, what was going on when we did the Destroy All Girls tag. Um, Lulu, Senate, not surprisingly, was before your time because I was probably about your age when I moved out to California and started doing it. And Dia, I'm guessing you would have had no 
exposure to Senate until we start doing drug receipts. I, I think that's correct. Yeah. I don't think I was aware of it. Peripherally, so, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's right. It's definitely a, a niche market. Uh, but 30 years ago, Brooke and I were prof professional rollerbladers in Southern California. He had moved out to Southern California from New Zealand. I moved out to Southern California from Texas. And we met up literally on Venice Beach. And we became fast friends and uh, started spending all of our time together. And Brooke really took me under his wing. He, ha he had moved out a year uh, before I did. And so he already had some inroads made into kind of the professional touring circuit in Southern California. So he started hooking me up with other people, getting me my first professional shows, doing demos and exhibitions on rollerblades. But we also, uh, you know, we're both creatives and we started to devise this idea for a company that we would do together. Um, and mostly we were trying to address this, a, a gap in the market because we were doing shows for Team Rollerblade and it was being pitched as kind of this recreational activity. And we were jumping off of, you know, launch ramps and doing half pipe demos and things. But the what would later become to be described as aggressive skating at the time was really just used as a spectacle to sell recreational skates. It wasn't really intended to be selling the thing that we were doing. We weren't trying to create a new market of aggressive skaters. It was just look how exciting and fun and cool this thing is. You can buy a pair also and use them to skate around the boardwalk. Um, or down the boardwalk. So anyway, Brooke and I had the idea, and because everyone that we skated with, our entire network of friends in Southern California, we were all skaters. We were all out on the streets skating. Um, and so that was the market we wanted to address, was the other people doing what we were doing um, for its own merits, not as a spectacle to sell recreational skates. And that's where the idea for, for Senate came from. And to add a little more context to it, the reason it's called Senate, does anyone know? I see Lulu thinking, because I'm sure you've heard the story before. Yeah, I, th I think I do know, but I can't repeat it back to you. <laughs> but so the idea was, it's kind of like breaking the fourth wall, you know, like we, we already felt like we were pitted against the corporations, you know, Rollerblade was the big company. Um, there were already, uh, you know, there were other, there were big like wheel manufacturers that, that were making recreational wheels and products. And we wanted to rebel against that. Um, but we also recognized that by forming a company, we were kind of joining their ranks. Like we were going to become a corporation of sorts unto, unto ourselves. Um, and so an acknowledgement of that, we wanted to kind of bill ourselves as a kind of corrupt entity. Uh, and so we were looking for names that sounded like corrupt, right? And so naturally we looked to the corridors of government, <laughs> um, and, you know, and we're, we're trying to think, you know, what, what could it be like, uh, you know, Congress or whatever, but the Senate ended up being the one that we thought was really cool. Uh, and a lot of our marketing kind of, you know, played on that again, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know, the, you will see these themes um, cropping up again and again, as we go into this. Um, Joellen, let's show a photo of Brooke and I and Michael Palak on Venice Beach. I mean, this is around the time when this all started. Okay, Lulu, I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. Do you know which one of those is your dad? Of course, the one with the amazingly bleached hair. Nice. Blondes <laughs> really do have more fun, don't they, babe? Of course, of course. I learned from you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so then, Dia, I'm going to put you on the spot. Which one of those is Brooke? 
Well, he's on the opposite end there. I don't know who's that in the middle, but I think that's right. at the end. So you got it. Uh, Lulu, do you know who's in the middle? Michael Pollack. That's Michael Pollack, of course. So uh, Michael Pollack, one of my best friends, we were roommates in Venice Beach for a long time. Um, but so I'm actually wearing a Team Senate shirt there. So this is actually after we've started Senate. And I'm using a Senate comb to comb my awesome bleach blonde hair. Uh, and that is just a testament or an indication of how big Senate was. Um, we, we had a full product line and we made anything and everything. Mostly we would make like the idea for us was we just didn't want to ever have to buy anything. So we made everything that we needed to fill our closets and our drawers and just never have to um, walk into a, a, a Target or a Walmart. Uh, but so we made boxer shorts. We made socks. We made jeans. We made shirts. We made combs. Um, we, anything we could put our logo on, we did. And we sold the heck out of it. Senate at its peak was like a $13 million a year company. Um, we were sold in dozens of countries. We were distributed to major retailers and outlets. Uh, we were carried in PacSun. Um, we were carried in a giant sportswear chain in the Midwest called Galleons. Uh, it was a really big and successful company. John, let's show the image of the Team Paradise catalog. So this is just a couple of pages out of a Team Paradise catalog. And Lulu, you won't remember this or even be able to relate to it, but long before e-commerce, before you could go onto the uh, internet and shop for whatever you wanted, uh, the way that people got their, uh, their products, the way that they found out about items like Senate and decided what they wanted to get was through mail order catalogs like this. This one was called Team Paradise. It was the biggest one of the time. Team Paradise actually happened to be located right across the street from Senate headquarters in Huntington Beach. So it was really convenient. Um, but Team Paradise was an entire catalog that they would send out to skaters. And it, it was kind of like a magazine, right? It had some editorial pages. Had, like they would, because they were so close to us, like we would go out and do photo shoots. They would have skating pictures of, of pro skaters in there. Um, and then they would just have pages and pages of product. This is a couple of pages from Senate section, but they would have products from, you know, all the, the coolest skating companies in there. Um, and this is just a taste of when I talk about, you know, a full product line, you can see on there, the, the boxer shorts, you can see the socks, hats, wallets. Um, we had hard goods. You can see some, some wheels and frames there, but backpacks, uh, jeans, sweaters, that sweater there, the, the blue sweater with the, the gray stripe, that is a sweater that was modeled um, directly off of a sweater that I, I claimed um, out of my grandfather's closet one day. Um, it was one of his old vintage sweaters, and I used to wear it all the time, and I thought it was so cool. And so then when we got the opportunity and we were doing cut and sew with Senate, that was one of the items that we made. You can actually see there's a little swatch that shows a secondary colorway of that blue and gray sweater. And that swatch is, is brown and cream. And that was the actual colorway of my grandfather's sweater. So just a really uh, cool little side note. But you can also see the big jeans there, the ultra wides. Um, there's a green pair with a, a light green stripe. Fairly hideous, those things. Although, I, you know what? I shouldn't say they're hideous because that's basically what brain dead pants look like right now. The same colors, same uh, silhouette, everything. But then just to the left of them is a version of the ultra wides. And you can, you can see that the, uh, that the opening at the bottom is cinched um, with a drawstring. So just a little bit of skating innovation there so that the jeans don't get into your wheels when you're going backwards and, uh, and cause you to fall back. 
Lulu, I know that 90s fashion is seeing a resurgence in popularity right now. I'm wondering what do some of these, what do these clothes look like now to, to your young eyes as you look at them? Like if you came across something like this at a vintage store, is that a, is that a purchase or a pass? Yeah, I think I love all of this. I feel like this type of stuff is a lot of stuff that I do see today. Um, yeah, I think I would wear all of it. You know, I have some really big pants. I wish that I had a pair of Senate pants. <laughs> well, maybe you will. Maybe you will. Um, so for all these products, um, you know, they all needed labels. You can see some of the labels, you know, here on the outside, you can see the back, the, the patch on the back of the jeans. Um, some of them have printed labels, some have uh, embroidered labels, some have screened logos, uh, but everything needed graphics and not just like labels and logos, but they also needed like tags for the laundry instructions. They needed packaging for the socks. Um, they needed, you know, packaging for the wheels. Like everything needed, uh, needed labeling, needed logos, needed basically needed production design. Um, and for some reason, most of that fell to me. And I think that it was, you know, it was probably because early on I kind of, I established my, my role as basically the creative director for Senate. And really that was just because, you know, I went to an arts high school and so I, and I was, you know, I was always drawing. Um, and so I had already kind of identified myself as an artist. And so when it, you know, when it came to things that looked like they needed, you know, an artistic eye, uh, it naturally that, that stuff fell to me and I was happy to take it on. Um, but I didn't really have any training in any of that. I, I didn't go to school to do it. I wasn't a graphic designer. And I certainly didn't even know how to use the, the tools, really. Um, the Adobe Suite now is what we would call it. But I had to learn all of that on the job. But the more I learned and the more, uh, the, you know, the, the, the more I took on, then the more people would give to me. So I want to talk about a graphic in particular that we're going to talk about the destroy all girls label, but there is a graphic in particular that, that was kind of foundational to Senate's identity. And it would become somewhat of a, you know, would, it would become kind of like an unofficial logo for Senate. Uh, we had our official logos were things like the green backwards dollar sign. Um, we had the halo logo, uh, but center graphic, you know, as much as anything, I think really, kind of symbolized the brand. And for many years, even long after I left, they would use the center graphic, like they made a keychain out of it. They used it in the packaging for the for all the wheels that they released, even in the big box stores. Um, can I show, uh, let's look at the center wheel packaging. This will give you guys an idea of what we're talking about here. So this is the bribes and the C notes were the first wheels we ever made at Senate and probably are some of our very first products. Those along with the, the Senate wrenches, which were the grind plates. But so these were little tiny wheels that were made for grinding. You would put these little hard wheels in the, in the middle two spots between your two bigger, softer outer wheels. And the idea was that the, the small hard wheels in the middle, when you were on a handrail or when you were grinding a curb, since they're hard and small, they're less likely to stick and uh, get stuck when you're grinding. And naturally, when you're grinding, you want to keep going. I said that Brooke and I were trying to address a market that was, you know, that was just coming into existence at the time and was not being addressed 
by anyone, any manufacturer at the time, Kryptonics, Hyper Wheels, no one was making wheels specifically for aggressive skating. So this was the market we were addressing. And this was the first way that we did it was by making anti-rocker wheels. Um, and literally the first anti-rocker wheels we made, basically we were, we were sort of taking skateboard uh, silhouettes, skateboard templates and printing them with our own graphics. Although our our inline wheels typically were a little narrower in profile, a little thinner than the skateboard wheels, but some of them actually fit. Um, but so this is the packaging. So just like I said, you know, the packaging fell to me. Um, and that center graphic that I'm referring to is that little guy right there on the left or, or on the left of the C notes of the back of the packaging. But he's got a shaved head, a broken halo, which is a trait that our drug snugglers will recognize. It has deep roots but also a bloody baseball bat held behind his back and a Senate super logo on the, the wife beater t-shirt and guys wife beater. I, I expect that that's not okay anymore. Off the top of my head. I don't even know what another name for it is. A singlet it's wife pleaser, a wife pleaser. Thank you, babe. Thank yeah. you, Lulu. A wife no pleaser. So there he's wearing the wife pleaser tank, tank top, <laughs> the wife pleaser tank top, but a wife pleaser is definitely a wife pleaser is a, is a special case of a tank top, right? There is something specific about it that is, is not exactly a tank top. But anyway, so, and a big belt buckle and big jeans. And so that was the center graphic. And uh, let's show the picture of uh, Brooke and Mark, Marcus Thompson wearing the, the shirt. That, that graphic there, you can see it on the packaging, but we also put it into our product line. It was one of our t-shirts. Um, there's a couple of skaters there wearing it and both of them wearing all white. This was the thing that Brooke was really into actually. His little aesthetic, I don't know, an aesthetic quirk. I don't know. It was something that he was going through where he thought all white was cool. And it was, it was very cool. Uh, but they're, they're both wearing the, the center graphic there. Let's look at the legacy of the center graphic. I have another image here just to give you guys a taste of the lasting impact of this and and kind of what it has meant to the skating community but so on the left you can see the original senate graphic the center graphic in color um right next to it in the middle is an update that i did myself to the center graphic um, in the drug receipts style this was a collaboration i did with a skate company called vibralux and so be between drug receipts and vibralux we called it drugs um and but Right. It's got the broken halo, the bloody baseball bat, the skates, even the belt buckle with the little homage to Senate um, and center on the forehead. But even there on the right is another tribute to this uh, this historic graphic. Um, and this was done by Braindead and them skates. This was one of the T-shirts that came out as part of the collaboration for Braindead and them. And I had nothing to do with this. I was not consulted on it. I certainly didn't draw it. But you can see it is a clear reference to the original center graphics. It's got the bloody bat with the, the mace studs coming out of it, the big jeans, the skates. So, and even the pose, right? In every way, it is a tribute to the center graphic. So that takes us all the way through essentially almost 30 years. Um, but the, the, the legacy and the importance of that graphic to the skating community is well established and should be understood as we talk about this. Um, because it kind of gives you a sense of what Senate means to, to skaters. Um, so let's talk about uh, Destroy All Girls. Um, Joellen, let's look at everybody here. 
By the way, Dia, I don't think that I've acknowledged your uh, your punk beret, just like just like Tabby wears in the collection. <laughs> I love it. It's my Tabby beret, yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't have an anarchy button though, so it, yeah, it's true. My POP, yeah, exactly. I don't have an anarchy button, so I'm, I'm doing this uh, Red Rock Coffee button instead, which is pretty, yeah, you know, kind of anarchistic. It's, it's the coffee. anarchy of coffee. Um, yeah. Right. Lots of anarchists met in coffee shops. So that's the anarchy connection. <laughs> well played. Well played. Awesome. So we're going to talk about Destroy All Girls. And the first thing that I'd like to say about it. Um, so let's go ahead and show it. So as part of my responsibilities as the production artist slash graphic designer slash creative director was I created all of these labels. And so there you can see one of our shirts. That's a Senate shirt. Um, and just peeking there at the top behind the call, you can see the tag. And now here we have an exploded view of the tag Senate made in the United States. This one's a size large. And then on the back, it says machine wash cold, no bleach, tumble dry low, remove promptly, don't iron decorations, destroy all girls. This is what all the discussion is about. Um, so the reason... Uh, or the first thing that I want to address when talking about this is because what everyone says is, oh, what a clever bit, bit of marketing, right? What a clever campaign. They, they put on this provocative statement. They came up with this provocative slogan and it, you know, it, it ruffled some feathers and uh, made waves and they got national media attention out of it. How clever. Um, Related to that line of reasoning is people will say things like, well, you know, why did you choose to uh, target uh, girls as, you know, make them the target of this um, marketing campaign in such a disparaging way? Uh, you know, was it worth the marketing uh, bump that you got out, out of it just to say such a, a mean and ugly thing? And the first thing that I would like to clarify is that this was never conceived of as a campaign. Um, this was not even designed as part of a marketing uh, initiative. Um, certainly, I was responsible for the marketing at Senate um, and in everything that I did, right? I'm always kind of wearing that hat. Everything is about building the brand and about being on brand. Um, but in this case, uh, you know, I had to do the... I had to design the packaging for socks. You put a, you wrap a, a belly band around a couple of socks and that's packaging, but the belly band has to have a design on it. When we needed these labels to go inside of the t-shirts, someone had to design them and I did, and they, they came to me to design them. And when I'm sitting here and doing this stuff, I'm like, you know, I'm not there. I, I take no joy in designing a, a wash label uh, from my perspective, everything. And, not from from my perspective, Senate was commerce as a form of performance art or a form of art. So in every way, I'm always looking and trying to see how can I subvert um, whatever is being done here or what opportunity is there to do something unexpected um, or to make it a little bit more than whatever its original utility was intended as. And so in this case, when I'm looking at this label, I'm thinking, how can I subvert it? Or I think probably even more accurately, I'm recognizing an opportunity to subvert something. Um, so the reason that I showed you guys the center graphic 
is because one thing that we never did with the center graphic is included the tagline for that. Um, and there was a tagline that in my vision, that graphic always was intended to have the saying, shave your head, kill your parents <laughs> with it, which is absurd and obnoxious. And Lulu, I don't recommend that you ever take that advice um, or at least not all of it. <laughs> this is why the baseball bat is your worst fear. Exactly. I have always told <laughs> you, Lulu, I always this. imagine that she's going to get some, uh, some, uh, you know, rebel teenage boyfriend that smokes cigarettes and rides a motorcycle. And then one day they're going to decide that, you know, they're so in love with each other, but they got to get rid of the old man. And they're going to come in and bludgeon me to death with a baseball bat. And then she'll hop onto the back of his motorcycle and they'll, they'll ride off to the next Howard Johnson. Yeah. That was always one of my fears growing up, but probably in no small, small part because of, uh, because of this graphic from my past or the, the center graphic from my past. But so when it came time to do this hang tag, that's what I wanted to put on there was shave your head, kill your parents. Um, and that is what I originally originally proposed to the team. And they saw that and they said, Arlo, are you insane? No effing way. We're not putting that on the hang tags. And what I was going for here, and this is the reason why it's so important to me to clarify that this was not a marketing campaign, is what I was going for here as a matter of art and artistic uh, expression was I thought that the, this wash label in the t-shirts in the was so small and insignificant and something that no one ever would give a second thought, that no one even ever pays any attention to. The graphic on the front of the shirt that says Senate or has the center graphic, that's what people care about. It's why they buy the shirt. The, the label um, sewn into the neck it has nothing to do with anything. It's just a, a bit of utility um, to let you know to wash it cold and no one even reads it. At least that's what I thought. And so I wanted a statement that was inversely proportional to how insignificant the label was. I wanted the, the statement on it to be as uh, proportionally as um, emotionally potent as, it, as the label was insignificant, if that makes any sense. So I was looking for a big statement something that by, by its juxtaposition with how provocative the statement was against how insignificant um, the label was, that in, for me, there was something exciting about, about that. That's what I was going for. And my expectation was not that, oh, this is our clever marketing campaign that's going to get us you know, national media coverage and significantly pump our sales. All I thought I would get out of it is every once in a while, there would be a skater somewhere who for some dumb reason would actually read the label, which no one ever does, at least no teenage boys are ever reading any of those labels, um, and would see that thing and would be surprised and tickled by it. Be like, whoa, <laughs> what the heck? Um, that was my idea. That was my dumb idea. But that's not the way that it played out. So people do actually read the labels, and in particular, mothers who wash their clothes uh, for their teenage boys. At least that's what happened in the case of one mother in the Midwest who'd purchased the, the shirt for her son at a Galleon's um, sporting goods store. And she was doing the wash. She saw the label and she was horrified by it. Rightfully so, right? No context, no background. She doesn't know, oh, Arlo, you know, you're, you're being such a, a clever uh, artist. What a big idea. She just sees this label basically directed toward her 
13 year old boy it says destroy all girls sounds pretty terrifying so she contacted her uh, local media outlet i suppose that's how it happened and somehow they posted it and the ap wire the ap newswire got a hold of it and spread it out nationally so every news outlet across the nation saw this come across their ap stream their ap wire and we started fielding uh, phone calls. I started fielding phone calls nonstop, literally from first thing in the morning all the way through the evening. Phone is ringing off the hook. Uh, the, the messages are piling up. Arlo so-and-so called from Fox News, so-and-so called from ABC, local NBC affiliate. Uh, just It was a total um, media sensation. Uh, we had news stations come to the Senate warehouse. They were interviewing me. Um, I got interviewed on Bill O'Reilly. Do any of you know who Bill O'Reilly is? This uh, 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 conservative news um, stalwart. Um, so I went on to Fox, whatever his program was at the time, the O'Reilly Factor, and sat on camera and got skewered basically by Bill O'Reilly. Um, in fact, if anyone out there can find footage of that, because I actually looked for it. I wanted to show it to you guys here today, but I, I couldn't find it. If you can find me appearing on Bill O'Reilly, I would love to see that. Um, but so it was a media sensation. It, it, there was a definite firestorm. And, um, and because we were Senate and our brand was to be, you know, provocative and menacing, you know, I, we already had the center graphic. We, we, one of our taglines was Senate supports angry youth. Um, we supported destructive skating. I mean, in so many ways, like th this getting out in the media, it, it was not really a scarlet letter for us. It just boosted our sales. Um, and so that's why people retroactively go back and say, oh, it was a bit of marketing genius. Or if you, depending on how you read it, you know, it was sort of a bit of cynical marketing, um, exploiting um, women for our own benefit. Uh so it's just a little bit different than, than kind of how it, it was originally conceived or what I intended. Um, let's go ahead and show the motto uproar. So I do have a, I, one of these uh, news outlets that came out and interviewed us, it is still out there on the internet. So I'm going to show you, we're going to share with you the, one of these uh, news pieces on it. Now tonight, the story of an inline skating company and its motto. Inline skating is hot here locally. Many companies like to reflect an aggressive edge, a competitive toughness, if you will. But the motto for this company has people saying they've gone too far. David Cruz in studio tonight. He's got more. David? Paul, when the company came up with the slogan, Destroy All Girls, they saw it as a marketing gimmick. But tonight, that slogan is sparking a marketing mess among some people who say it sends the wrong message. It's called aggressive skating, the most popular form of competitive inline skating among boys as young as 12 years old. And those who make it to the top are as famous among their peers as the stars of any sport. Among them, world champion Arlo Weisenberg. The slogan was his brainstorm. I mean, we expected it to ruffle a few feathers, but certainly nowhere to the extent that it has. The slogan appears on the back of the label sewn into the collar of the clothes, so you have to look hard to find it. Still, a sporting goods store owned by The Limited today removed the Destroy All Girls merchandise off their shelves in four states. The Huntington Beach Company says being unconventional has actually helped grow their business into more than $10 million in sales a year. Its president predicts that despite the controversy, kids will buy the merchandise anyway. 
when's the last time when your mom said, hey, you cannot buy this shirt anymore? The kid's like, yes, mom, you are right. This is really ridiculous. I don't want this shirt no more. It, it just doesn't happen. I don't, I don't think we're going to lose any sales over this. But the true test of how clever the slogan may be will come at the cash register, where reaction so far is mixed. People can be very offended, women and men alike, and I, and I do find it to be somewhat offensive. Now, the company says it is now producing the new season line and that they will not use the destroy all girls slogan on the new labels. But they're not making any apologies either. Have you ever seen that, Lulu? Not the full thing, no. Mm -hmm. What do you think of it? That was great. What was it? It's, it's weird to see you at that <laughs> at a younger age. I feel like we would be friends. I'm wondering if, yeah, I was probably almost exactly your age there. Actually, probably a little bit older. Um, you know, watching that again, and when I, as I've re-familiarized myself with that video, to me, the thing that stands out the most is the woman at the end who they interview. Because she, I think she worked at Team Paradise, the catalog, the mail order catalog company that I mentioned that's across the street from Senate. Um, and so I knew her, I mean, not very well, but we were acquaintances. And so at the time, I remember feeling kind of betrayed by her. Like, I'm like, you're a skater. You kind of understand what Senate's about. How can you say that, right? Like, you don't get it. But now when I watch it, I feel like she, that is exactly the, the point that I was missing. That is the perspective that I didn't get back then. Um, and so it kind of, it, you know, it, it breaks my heart a little bit to see it now. Um, but yeah, I think we will, we will get into that a little bit more. I did want to finish this idea of, you know, the, the obnoxious, like emotionally potent message hidden on this tiny, uh, insignificant label. So when the team balked at doing shave your head, kill your parents, probably for good reason, um, I had to come up with an alternative because I didn't want to abandon this idea. Um, but it's not like I just had this, you know, this uh, well of uh, provocative, shocking statements that I could refer to. That was kind of the only one that I had percolating. So I was trying to think of an alternative. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough balance trying to find something that is significantly um, volatile and provocative, but that, you know, can still be for at least what I was going for with it can still be seen as, or should still be seen as something kind of allegorical or e emotional or, you know, not literal. Um, so there was a song lyric that for whatever reason I'd been exposed to in high school. Um, it was not a band that I listened to. It was not a band that I, you know, I, I didn't have any of their albums and I couldn't even tell you what the song actually sounded like or how it went. But I, I never forgot the lyrics and I never forgot the name of the band because the, the name of the band is so shocking unto itself. But the name of the band was Scraping Fetus Off the Wheel, <laughs> which you can't even say it with a straight face. Jolyn, can you show the album cover for this band? Um, I mean, it was probably, I'm guessing like industrial. I honestly I have no idea. Uh, scraping fetus off the wheel. Um, and so they had a song and I forget the name of the song, but one of the lyrics in the song was destroy all girls. And so when I started spinning the, the Rolodex in my mind, trying to come up with some kind of a provocative statement to replace shave your head, kill your parents. Uh, that's one of the lines that popped up. 
And I pitched that to the team and don't ask me why they thought, you know, that they, that they thought that shave your head, kill your parents was a non-starter, but for some reason they thought destroy all girls was okay. Um, but we ended up going with it. Um, that made it into the label. Um, so what, whatever else scraping fetus off the wheel accomplished in their, um, illustrious careers, they also get credit for that line in, and, and that chapter in our, um, that infamous chapter in the history of Senate. So after all the, the news reaction to Senate and destroy all girls, we made a response. Um, it's a low budget, silly thing, uh, just done, you know, in an afternoon, but it still lives on, on the internet as well. And so we were able to dig it up and it's, it's, it's really cute and silly. So we will share it now. tearing up from my laugh. That's pretty silly. <laughs> that was great. But so you, so everybody much fun got us everywhere. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but it's also, I mean, it's absurd and silly, but it's, there is kind of an important thread there worth noting. And that is that, you know, I was raised in a good home. Anyone who knows me knows I have a very good and close relationship with my mother. Um, I have a good relationship with Lulu's mother, my ex-wife. I have a daughter. I have Dia. I mean, I have good re and healthy uh, relationships with women, and I always have. So the the destroy all girls thing was not really coming from a place of uh, malicious intent, um, and it was not even a reflection of you know bad relationships or bad experiences with women. Um, I guess though, I guess there, but there is something there, obviously that. Uh, that I was tapping into, or that was, you know, that that was the kind of part of the reasoning behind it. Um, and I guess, you know, as a young person and as a young man and as an aggressive skater at the time and, and surrounded by other young men, uh, mostly, um, you know, young people care a lot about love and finding um, companionship and a relationship. Uh, but most of the time, for a lot of young people, uh, their their young experience is spent not finding that, right? It's most of the experience is in pursuit of it. It's a story of rejection, um, and it can be frustrating. And it, everything feels, you're not, all of your emotions are so heightened at that age. So everything feels so much more important and so much more consequential. And you can see it in art that comes out, you know, from young people which most of the best art does, you know, in music and in visual arts. But, you know, a lot of the, the music is about unrequited love or, you know, lovers scorned or, you know, just uh, angst or um, anger uh, or resentment toward the, you know, whoever is being pursued or whichever group is being pursued. 
Um, and in particular, you know, I remember for us, like, you know, Snoop Dogg and uh, the Dog Pound. It's it's no it's no news break here that um, rap lyrics have a reputation for being misogynistic. Um, but so I. Th- for me, Destroy All Girls kind of was tapping into that sentiment a little bit. Like girls, you know, as, as young men, girls are the thing that, um, that, you know, that cause us so much frustration. And so we're kind of like, we're on this team against girls. Um, and it's kind of like Snoop Dogg saying, you know, I, I never loved a hoe or something like that. Um, again, not, and my intent, of course, here is not to, to justify any of this. It's just to give insight into the context um, and kind of where my head was at, at the time. Um, I think that's really important because the, the zeitgeist at the time, uh, you know, in the nineties, it was really a pretty amazing period in, our, in, in the world and certainly in the United States. Um, that's where, you know, we had all kinds of really amazing things happening with women and, and with girls and you know that was the, where there was like the anita hill the senate hearing that was that clarence was thomas. broadcast with clarence thomas right when he was confirmed yeah. and um that was a really you know that was that was kind of a, a crucial touchstone moment and so there were a lot of um things around women that were happening at that point that were that were really uncomfortable um for us as a society and across the world and anytime you have like large scale change like that, that's happening, um, there's pushback, you know, and the people who are affected, um, who are, who are forced to look at change, whether they recognize it or not, you know, they, they, it, it affects them and it and starts to seep into sort of how things happen. And even the, I, I didn't know that about the story, um, of where destroy all girls came from and what was it scraping fetus off the wheel? Uh, yeah, was the you name should rub that from your <laughs> your memory banks, but for now, yes. I'm got sorry, it. that's way too late. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that speaks directly to you know what uh, one of the things that's really important is in women's healthcare and abortion and and feminism. You know, that's all tied up in that um, uh, in, in that that band that title, the the name of the song, everything. And so, even if that's that's not something that you were consciously um promoting or listening to all the time like you say you know it was just something that kind of floated in and out and as an artist you grab different things because artists steal from the world around them all the time and you've got you're very sensitive to that um but it's just something that you know i'm sure as you're in this very male dominated field and, and with the punk rock sensibility as an artist, you know, you're just absorbing all of that and you're transmitting and you're, and you're taking it and you're transmitting it. Yeah, I think Sorry, that. I mean... <laughs> no, uh, but I just, exactly. I, there's so much really interesting stuff going on in the nineties um, with, with women um, in particular that I'm, you know, and I just, I know as an artist that you were just there, you know, being responsive to it from whatever angle that you were at yes partially but you know as a young person mostly i'm responding to you know wanting to be with women right and not um and whatever frustration comes with that but what's important about what you're saying uh, or i think an important aspect of what you're saying is that the fact that 
I did not account for that in kind of my evaluation or in my arithmetic when I'm about, when I'm deciding to put that into a label, like I'm looking at it from such a uh, limited um, perspective, really only considering my own experience and thinking that, you know, I am a part of this group, these young men, and not even really considering the impact that it has on the, the group being targeted there. Um, in fact, probably thinking naively that there is no impact, right? I'm just making an art artistic expression of extreme frustration, you know, or pent up you know, sexual desire or whatever it is. Um, and this is free expression, but not considering at all what the impact of it is. Um, and, you know, Lulu, this reminds me of an episode. I, I hope this is I hope this is not inappropriate to talk about, but I remember um, when Lulu was younger, she was showing me, maybe they were Vine videos at the time, before TikTok, before Instagram stories, people looked at Vine and Vine was just short format videos and most of them were funny, like that's what it was. Um, and so I would go lay next to her in her bed as she was getting ready for bed and she would show me the funny Vines. And I noticed a pattern that, and this was, we were living in Huntington, no, in uh, Newport Beach at the time. Um, and I noticed a pattern in a lot of the vines I was seeing, they seemed to be um, lower income black people doing something funny, um, you know, and and not always intentionally funny. Like maybe it's just something that looked funny, like maybe they, their pants were falling down or something. Um, but I felt the need to tell Lulu that, um, or to remind her that oh, this is so weird. Um, do you remember this at all? What I'm about to say? Yeah, Lulu? yeah. Should I let? I'm curious. Can I tell you? Can I ask you? We Lulu and I have not rehearsed this. I I'm curious. Do you feel comfortable saying saying what you recall from that? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think it was just along the lines of that, like, like this is not an accurate representation of black people. Like it seems that, you know, your page is just kind of making caricatures out of them and like something to mock. Um, and I knew that I wasn't in an area where there was a lot of diversity or black people. And so I know that you were very concerned that my only interaction with this group of people that is unique from myself, like is just solely portrayed in a negative way um so yeah that's what i remember dang yeah that's exactly right that honestly that makes me like misty-eyed because you know as a parent you never know exactly what impression you're making you hope and you know it I, I see it in the results right you're i think that you're a great person but you don't know specifically what sticks um and that's exactly right uh lulu was going to a school we were living in newport there were not a whole there's not a whole lot of diversity there it was mostly affluent white people um, and the only, I felt like the only exposure she was getting to black people was through Vine and through these videos. And so her only impression of black people was it made them look like buffoons or, or caricatures. Um, and I, just like she said, it was a misrepresentation of an entire, um, uh, an entire, uh, a group of people. Um, and so. My point, Dia, to bring this back to what you were saying and why, you know, why the, the change that was happening at that time is so important is a corrosive message is made even more corrosive and more destructive um, by, the, uh, by the lack of any kinds of counterexamples. 
if a comedian makes fun of a white person or says that white people are terrible dancers, maybe it makes white people look like buffoons. But there are so many other examples of white people. You know, you see your doctors, you see CEOs. Um, white people are in no real danger of being held back or adversely affected by that kind of humor. But when Lulu sees uh, someone making fun of a black person and she doesn't have an example of a black doctor or a black CEO or other examples of black people, we didn't have Barack Obama yet, other examples of black people to counterbalance that and say, that's not all that black people are. Um, so similarly, when I say destroy all girls and we don't have a lot of women in the corridors of power, we don't have a lot of women CEOs, there's not all right. All the all the changes that were afoot had not taken place yet. So the, the, the message becomes even more um, corrosive, even more destructive, uh, probably than than it would have been otherwise. Right. No, exactly. And that was where in the 90s was where we had women really starting to, um, for the first time, come into power. We had Hillary Clinton in the, like in the early 90s as the first lady who was in, the, in Clinton's first term, right? She came in and she wanted to uh, fix healthcare. Like that was her, that was going to be her first lady um, project <laughs> was going to be fixing healthcare. And she got in there and started doing it. And people were really upset about it to the point where she had to step down because she just, she, she couldn't get anywhere with it. Um, because she had too much power. They were saying, we didn't, we didn't elect you. You can't be, you know, we had um, uh, Janet Reno, right. the first woman, female attorney general. Um, so we, for the first time, really started having women in positions of power there, which is part of the zeitgeist that was, that was sort of around that. And there was just like, you know, as usually happens uh, when people who are not typically in power start to get into power, there, there is an uprising against them um, that, you know, that they have to overcome because people, we want the status quo, like as a society, there's just, um, there's always forces that are in tension um, moving against each other. And, you know, it's not, it's, this is just what it is now. I mean, we're, we're always in that kind of attention going back and forth. So yeah, I, um, there was a lot of that going on in the nineties. There's, there's always a lot, but but that's what, what you tapped into and you're exactly right. Yeah. And as we discuss this, you know, I want to be careful to clarify here because something else that comes up a lot when we talk about this is the notion of free speech, uh, which also is something that is um, important to me. Um, you know, similarly around that time, there were a lot of uh, really, uh, you know, really explosive issues surrounding free speech. Um, I remember as I was graduating high school is when um, Jesse Helms, you know, as a senator was trying to basically defund uh, the endowment for the arts um, because of what he viewed as, as controversial or objectionable artistic content. Um, in particular, I think Robert Maplethorpe was like submerging crucifixes in urine and taking pictures of, you know, uh, semi-erotic photos of nude men, things like that. He, Robert, Robert Maplethorpe was a, a gay artist uh, himself. Um, but so it was a big deal, right? The, this idea that the government take money away from, from the arts um, because, because senators don't like the content of the art. Um, and I, as, a, as a, a, a senior at an arts high school at the time, it was especially um, potent and poignant uh, to me. Um, and also around this time was when Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, was, you know, she was 
in, in the midst of her campaign against musical artists, um, again, probably had a lot to do with rap artists, but complaining that that uh, popular music had become too explicit. Um, so they that's where we got, you know, uh, explicit content warning labels on music. Good night, Dia. Bye bye. Good night. Dying. Sorry. <laughs> It's like in the bar when they, they flicker oh. the lights to tell you it's time to go. Dia's like, okay, Arlo, you done? <laughs> there she <laughs> comes. I'll get it back. Um, but so absolutely, I want to be clear. One thing that I've never done is I haven't apologized for Destroy All Girls, and I don't intend to. Um, I want to explain it, and I want my intent to be clear, and kind of I, want, I hope that people understand the context around it. Um, but I am, you know, I am comfortable with artists taking chances, doing things that don't always nail the mark that, you know, that say things that are controversial or dangerous, um, or even say things sometimes that are unpopular. I will always defend an artist's right, um, to do that and to, to take those kinds of chances or even to make those kinds of statements. Um, but I won't, although I won't apologize for it, I also won't defend it. Um, looking back, I don't think that it's a good look. It's not the kind of thing that I would do now, knowing what I know. And honestly, I think that if I was a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or however I old I was when I did Destroy All Girls, if I was that age now, I also probably wouldn't do it now. Um, just because all the things that we've talked about, I probably would have a broader perspective, probably a, a slightly more um, uh, intimate understanding of um, someone's perspective other are of the, you know, perspectives beyond my own. Even if I don't understand them completely, I know enough at least to be aware that, you know, that women would have a different perspective than mine. Uh, the woman who showed up at the end of the news clip that we showed, um, I pro the, the 20 year old version of me today probably wouldn't have been as surprised by her reaction. I would be aware that she has an opinion, um, different than mine. Um, I even think I think that the Me Too movement, honestly, has had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, as is the case with a lot of these things that start out with good intentions and have actually good outcomes. Uh, it's it's easy to take them too far. And a lot of times they get they get uh, overly emphasized. But at the core, I think that Me Too offered a, a, an important and much needed um, opportunity for a, a course correction. Um and it made men like me and young people in particular, it helped to bring to our awareness uh, kind of the, 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 the female perspective. Um, it helps us to consider the other person when we are trying to navigate kind of awkward and really um, undefined uh, um, sort of sexually charged spaces. So how long was that, if I can just, just get a little more context, how long was that tag going um, post, you know, were, were shirts with that tag produced and how long did it, you know, at what point did it, did it start to sort of um, dawn on you or was it, you know, was it one that got canceled by the limited or was it a little after or years later? Well, when you say how long was it before it dawned you... on me, what, what are you asking? I guess I'm, I'm asking, so I, I completely understand that you know, in the moment that you were doing the thing, you were just like, this is a small thing. It's no big deal. And who's even going to see it? And you didn't expect it to, to, to go on. Um, but then, you know, it all blew up and you've got national media and everybody's 
calling you at that point? Or did you just feel like, you know, y'all are, you're blowing this way out of proportion or did it start to sort of crack through for you? Like what sort of start, I guess, at what point did you start your awakening? Cause you clearly awakened somewhere in between yeah. in the last 30 years. <laughs> right. So I, I definitely didn't have like an instant awakening, right? I wasn't like all of a sudden aware of it. Um, honestly, it blew up so quickly that most of what we were responding to was the reaction itself, right? There wasn't a whole lot of room for introspection or reflection on the actual merits of the, the statement. Really, we were responding to the reaction. Um, and that probably offered a little bit of cover or uh, distance from having to really seriously consider what the, the true impact of the statement itself was, um, just because we got to react to everything else surrounding it. Um, but certainly over the years, uh, you know, as you acknowledged, right, my, my perspective, my, my thoughts on it have evolved. Um, I, and I, I mentioned this, or I teased it in the very opening. I, it wasn't anything like I had a daughter and then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, you know, don't destroy my daughter. Like girls are cool. Don't destroy all girls. It, you know, it wasn't something as simple as that, but also because the you know, the intent behind it was never, it was never intended to be malicious to begin with. It's not like, it's not like I ever had to have a reformed opinion of women. Really what had to reform was kind of my awareness of how it affects women and, you know, other people's perspectives that that was, that was right. the real awakening for me. And I think that's really common you know, when we run into people who say things that are negative about women or about you know, groups that they're not familiar with or, or you know, or, or people who seem very different from them, a lot of times it's just a lack of awareness uh, of how that those, you know, the world impacts people differently. Like it, it can be very hard. A very simple explanation is like, for me, if it's raining and cloudy and overcast and like dark and gloomy, sometimes if I'm in a particular mood, it's very difficult for me to imagine that there's sunshine anywhere, you know, <laughs> like, even though I, yeah. I know that there for sure the sun is shining somewhere. It's hot. You know, people are on a beach and, you know, enjoying weather, but my perspective, my world is this way. And so I think, you know, for all of us as human beings, the challenge is always to step out of ourselves and real empathy with people who are experiencing things in a different way, you know, and even if we're standing next to somebody walking down a street, we may be having very different experiences mm -hmm. just because of who we are and what our background is and what, um, what our history is, you know, and what our expectations are walking down that street. So it's a, I think that's a really important insight. Absolutely. You know, Lulu, it occurs to me that we're talking about something that I created when I was your age. And we were talking about kind of the cultural climate around that time when I was your age. Uh, but as a young person today, and you are in college, and I think your situation is probably maybe even particularly interesting because you kind of have your, you have a couple of different friend groups, but you know, with your fashion group and your kind of your probably more progressive friends. Uh, there's a lot more gender fluidity and a lot more, I think probably more of an emphasis on inclusion um, and diversity. Uh, but you're also, you know, part of the broader 
University of Texas system. We get a lot of people that, you know, come from more conservative areas here. What is your impression of kind of the, the cultural climate and the attitudes and the differences between men and women? Do you mean in regards to what? Just like this, this conversation? Yeah, yeah. In regards to this conversation and probably particularly because we're destroy all girls. I think what it's kind of aiming at is like the almost the way that men and women engage each other kind of in, in social and in particularly like sexual relationships, like pursuing partners and things like that. But how 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 each um, views the other. Yeah, honestly, I'm not really sure. I would say that <clears throat> I'm fortunate enough to be in a lot of spaces where I think that the men honestly treat the women in the way that they should be treated, you know, as equals and that they probably wouldn't feel comfortable creating something like destroy all girls. Um, but I did used to be a part of Greek life my freshman and sophomore year, which is um, like fraternities and sororities and things like that. And I would say that definitely more so in those spaces, I feel like um, that women were not respected as much and they would probably be chanting destroy all girls at their fraternity house or something, something. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it just, I think it really depends what type of group that you're in, but I would say for the most part, like, the University of Texas does a good job at like making sure that students know how to treat other students and that there are punishments if they do not. Um, and that women are not afraid to speak out here, you know? Yeah, I, I think that that's probably an important difference and you're exactly right, right? There's such there is so much more of a, just a general awareness and an emphasis on these kinds of things. So it's reinforced, you know, from the top down, from the institutions, from our peers. Uh, and it's the kind of information, honestly, that we did not have access to as, as a kid or when I was your age. Um, and as I said, those things are, you know, the relationships between men and women, you don't really get a, no one hands you a playbook. Um, you, you, allegedly our parents talked to us about the birds and the bees, but no one's really talking about, you know, the nuances of how you navigate uh, kind of awkward and undefined situations. And so in the absence of any real clear direction, um, there's just a lot of fumbling around and a lot of room for misunderstanding and a lot of room, honestly, for, uh, for bad behavior or just to get things really wrong. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that the conversation around it has definitely kind of elevated the the climate and the atmosphere surrounding things, even at its worst. Right. If, if we say that the that that uh, in Greek life, right, that they behave a little worse, probably than some of your friends in your other friend groups. But Greek life today is certainly probably orders of magnitude better than it was uh, 30 years ago. Um, so yeah, just the, the whole so. tide is being lifted by the cultural awareness. Um. Yeah, you know something. I will say, not all Greek life is bad. Not all people in Greek life, I think, are bad people. But I think it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier, where it's like a thing that you felt like you could connect with other guys about, and it was like us versus the girls. I feel like the way that Greek life is, you know, separated into these very close knit boy and girls groups, it kind of has that automatically built in that us versus them thing, and I think that that's why. That's why I think that those 
that group is more likely to behave in the uh, have similar views as you did um but still i agree better than it would have been back then even there and thank you for clarifying yeah. that and and i think it's a good opportunity also to say that you know that i don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that right i think that it community is important you always want to be surrounded by groups that sort of share your experience and to be able to express that honestly and to be supported in that the main difference here is you know where the where the limits of that kind of expression are you know if you're with your you with your friends and you're doing that and you know like you're bringing each other up um, that's one thing but then when you go out and you start turning that into like a platform for you know you're going to start directing that at other people or you're going to make some of the object of that kind of energy um, that's probably not as um, acceptable uh, or certainly not as acceptable. And I, I think that that's one of the main differences that, that we're seeing here. Yeah. Well, being able to, to have conversations, you know, difficult conversations about sensitive subjects, like we're talking about now, you know, it's like, and I just want to say how much I, I appreciate this episode of, you know, and, and you coming out and, um, and discussing it straight up because it is, it's very uncomfortable. And, you know, to, I, I can imagine, you know, nobody wants things that they've done 30 years ago, you know, it can be kind of hideous to, <laughs> to haul it out and start talking about it. But um, having these kind of conversations and talking uh, openly about them, honestly, and without uh, judgment, you know, with empathy for what has happened is so important and it's so healing to individuals to acknowledge, you know, yes, you know, I used to think this way and it was not great. You know, it wasn't great for me. I, you know, I don't, I didn't know you back then. Um, and I, but, you know, it sounds like you had a lot of testosterone and maybe a lot of anger, you know, or you were just a lot of um, aggressiveness at that point, like a lot of young men. And so having, you know, and, and now you're older and you've changed and that's great. You know, it's great to change. It's not a bad thing at all. It's, it's really important as humans that we acknowledge that we all have the capacity to acknowledge our past errors or our past positions and say, yeah, that was back then. And now I'm beyond it. I've grown and, you know, that's not who I am anymore. And that's, I think how we maximize our humanity is when we recognize that, that we can do better and we can do better with community. That's one of the things that's really awesome about our drug receipts community, frankly, is how supportive um, the people are in there and how open uh, everyone is to allowing for change and allowing for growth and allowing for mistakes, but you know, still being welcoming and supportive. Well, I'm glad that you brought up community because you're right. That is an important um, part of this the, the discussion here. And whereas the first time around when we released Destroy All Girls and the tags, um, the, the flare up happened in the national news media. This time the reaction was much smaller, but we did have our version of flare ups happening within our own community, in particular in our, our discord. Um, and so I think that that is a fair topic to address here. Um, and I feel like a couple of the dynamics that were at play in, in our community was on the one hand, we had people who 
came to this community from skating, right? So they're familiar with Senate. They're familiar with Destroy All Girls and the history of it. And it's just kind of part of our shared experience and background. Um, but then you also had people. And so for them, it's kind of like they, they're somewhat protective of it, right? It's like, this is a thing that, you know, that is a part of our, our lore and our background. And if you don't get it, then don't at me, you know, don't come at me about it. It's just that if you don't get it, that's kind of on you. This is our thing. Uh, and, oh, and if you think that we're, if you think that we're saying this because we're misogynistic pricks and assholes, well, then you just don't understand us. So, you know what, right. It, we're offended by, by your ignorance. Um, but then the, the other position is obviously if you don't have the benefit of all that history and background, then this looks shocking and, you know, provocative all over again. And when you, when you design stuff to be provocative, you can't be shocked when people are provoked. So it, it's kind of, it did its job. But so then you have these, these, a couple of conversations surrounding on the one hand, kind of notions of free speech, right? Like um, we should be able to talk about what we want. Um, this is a, a project that prides itself on, you know, uh, um, pushing buttons and hitting hot button topics and, you know, whatever, being provocative. Um, so don't be surprised, you know, that that's kind of what you signed up for here. It's part of the bargain. Um, but then you got people saying, <laughs> okay, well, you're, you're putting this provocative stuff out there. It's we're provoked. We have questions, right? We just, we want to know what's going on. And so then, uh, I think what's happened in the discord is we've, we've been struggling to kind of walk the line between, um, you know, respecting the people who share the history, not, not, you know, not making, not making them feel like they're being attacked for something that happened, you know, uh, in rollerblading 30 years ago, but also having an openness to bring people into the conversation and bring them up to speed and kind of explain to them how we arrived here uh, and not just sort of shutting them off or um, chastising them for what they don't know. Uh, have I characterized that fairly accurately, Dia? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, we're a, the drugger seats is a dynamic, um, and it's, you know, I mean, it's pretty large. I, how many, I, I don't know exactly how many people are holders, but I mean, it has, there's a few, a few thousand people, um, mm -hmm, that could right. potentially be in the discord at any given time. There's not that many. Um, there's probably more like a couple hundred, but, um, it could definitely be, you know, a, a, a really good sized group of people who have a lot of different things in common, you know, and a lot of them are skaters and, um, and do have this long history and um, from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different expectations. So it's a really interesting space to like for me, cause I don't come from a skating background and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of the, um, the characteristic traits of a, of a lot of the OG um, original community members, but I love them. I mean, they're my people, even though like, if you look at us on paper, it's like, what do I have in common with them? You know, but I just love being around them because they bring such interesting perspectives and being able to, um, you know, have conversations and learn about these, these different things is so valuable and so wonderful. So it's really, you know, having such diversity in our, discord um does sometimes lead to you know uh, i guess contentious um outcomes occasionally but um 
it also is such, you know, such a vibrant, wonderful thing that um, I think, you know, we just keep coming back to it. So I love it. Yeah. It is a wonderful thing. And it's what we offer at Drug Receipts. It's one of the things that we take pride in is inviting these challenging and interesting conversations and then providing a, a space and a forum where we can engage in them and engage in civil discourse. So something that we need to work on and one of our kind of one of our explicit objectives here is to continue to provide those within our community with the tools to engage in a meaningful and constructive way with each other, especially when surrounding uh, challenging topics. Because if we are going to put that stuff out there, if we are going to open the door and invite people to engage in these, these challenging conversations where we expect that people will be coming from a multitude of different direction, directions um, and viewpoints, then we have to provide also the tools and the guardrails to make sure that these conversations can be engaged in, in a constructive and not a hurtful or de destructive way. Um, one thing that okay. I would like to kind of take off the table um, right off the bat is the notion of free speech, because I feel like it's a little bit of a red herring and doesn't play that much into the dynamics of what's happening here. Um, because on the one hand, I don't think that anyone is suggesting that we should not say uh, uh, destroy all girls or anything for that matter. Um, really what we are talking about here is um, the content behind the messages and your ability to defend uh, whatever it is you have to say. And, uh, to that end, you know, what, what is the purpose of anything that you're introducing into the community? Um, what we are talking about here is really is, is not so much about free speech, but it's about community standards. Um, because you are free to say and do whatever you want, wherever you want. If you have an idea that we think is not um, welcome within our community, or that is in conflict with our community standards, then we may not allow you to say it here. It may not be welcome in our forums or on our Discord but you're welcome to join another discord of like-minded people or start your own. There are other forums out there. We, we are not the government. We cannot stifle your voice. Uh, we cannot silence you. Um, but we are a community. We are a community with um, express values and pillars. And we are, one of our responsibilities is to provide a a space, if we are going to put it out there that that's what we are offering, then we are obligated to make sure that that's what we deliver. So we have to curate and cultivate spaces that allow the kinds of conversations that we promise to our holders. And so if we find communication coming in or manners of communicating that are in conflict with that or that somehow make it uh, not possible to offer the kinds of conversations and experiences that we want, then it is not only within our right, but it is our duty to make sure that we are curating and editing um, that kind of behavior wherever we see it. So we won't always nail it. We won't always get it exactly right, but understand that that is the intention behind what we're doing. It is not to silence it in anyone. It is to provide the kind of space and experience that this brand promises. Absolutely. I'd like to read to you a quote um, from a, uh, um, that comes from the 19th century uh, from a gentleman named Arthur Martin. Uh, and this was from a guide to the art of conversation, but I think that it really um, holds a lot of weight in the context of, of the current conversation. But Arthur says, 
in disputes upon moral or scientific points, let your aim be to come at truth, not to conquer your opponent. So you never shall be at a loss in losing the argument and gaining a new discovery. So our objective in communicating, right, is not to conquer our opponents. Um, it is to come to a mutual understanding. And as Arthur says, then you never risk losing an argument because the only thing that is of consequence or the only outcome or, or the best outcome is that you're likely to gain a new perspective or some new understanding if, you're, if your intention is not to conquer, but is rather to, um, to engage and come to a new understanding. Um, I was reading an article and they said something that I thought described it really well, but they referred to this kind of um, destructive conversation and discourse as a menace of reacting rather than responding. So when we're offended by something or take something personally that someone else has said, um, there is a, an inclination to react um, rather than to respond. We are reacting from a place of hurt. Um, and typically those reactions will come out um, emotionally loaded. And we generally will, will miss the thing um, that, that deserves to be responded to in favor of a more emotional and um, uh, less considered reaction. So we promised some guardrails, some tools, and I'd like to offer some. Um, the first thing, the first general rule, and these are some rules that come kind of from uh, skepticism, uh, just because, you know, as a skeptic, um, you're constantly engaging in things that, you know, you're challenging oftentimes things that other people believe um, or that uh, think things that other people hold to be true or dear. Um, and so there is a, a skill that comes with being able to engage in those conversations in a way that doesn't make the uh, person that you're speaking with feel attacked um, and that is not um, insensitive to, you know, to their deeply held convictions. Uh, and so there's a whole, you know, there's a whole study and whole skill set built around this. But I will offer to you guys some of these uh, tips. And the first one is to always um, offer the most generous interpretation of your opponent's position. Um, so whereas, and guys, all of these are learned skills that most of them are counterintuitive. They're not how we naturally respond in a, uh, an explosive or a contentious situation, but by learning these things and being made aware of them, we can change our natural inclinations and strive for something a little uh, better, um, or that is to say more constructive. Um, but so always give the most charitable interpretation of your opponent's arguments. Don't assume the worst. Don't assume that they are idiots. Don't assume that they are uh, being malicious. Always try to give the most generous interpretation. That will go a long way. And believe me, I do it every time. Uh, when people say something to me, if it, whether it's hurtful or offensive, or I think it's just plain wrong, I always have to stop and suppress my first reaction, which is, which is to lash out because I'm hurt. And I stop and I consider it. Uh, and I try to give the most generous interpretation. I try to basically put myself in their mind and think about where they're coming from. And Daniel Dennett is a philosopher, a contemporary philosopher in our time. Uh, and he expands on this concept. Uh, I'm basing these on something called, or from a, another um, social psychologist and game theorist. His name was Anatole Rapoport. 
but he came up with the uh, a rule basically, which says if you disagree with somebody, you want to be able to state their case better than they can. And at that point, you've earned the right to disagree with them. Otherwise, you should keep quiet. So that's kind of right what I was getting at. You should be able to get into a place where you have considered their position from their perspective so well that you could say it back to them in a way that's better than they present could present it to themselves or where they would even likely be, be able to say to you, wow, you said that better than I could have said it myself. Um, and until we have reached that point, then it's probably best just to keep our opinion um, to our, to keep our opinions to ourselves. But so Daniel Dennett expand, expands on this concept uh, presented by Anatol Rapoport, and he gives us um, four tips for how we can engage in these contentious conversations. Um, and the first one we just said, you should attempt to re-express your target's position so clearly, vividly, and fairly that your target says, thanks, I wish I'd thought of putting it that way. He also says, you should list any points of agreement especially if they are not matters of general or widespread agreement. So it's always nice to find common ground. It really helps to kind of defuse and lower the temperature in a situation when you acknowledge that there are places where you guys are, where we are in agreement before we start going in on the, the areas where we don't see eye to eye. Daniel Dennett also says, um, you should mention anything that you've learned from your target. And that puts it kind of back on you where you have to consider their position and thoughtfully consider their position so that uh, in addition to being able to say it back to, to your opponent, if you had to, um, but you're also finding things in it that maybe you hadn't considered before. Um, and then summarizing, summarizing it just like uh, um, Anatole um, Rappaport did, uh, only after you've done all these things, then would it be advisable to offer your own rebuttal um, or criticism. Um, and again, all these things, in addition to giving us the valuable exercise and space to slow down and to really think about what is being said before we comment or react to comment on it or react to it. Um, it also, you know, it also provides an opportunity for things to, uh, to cool down a little bit. Um, it creates, it creates a, a safe and constructive, constructive space for real dialogue, which is exactly what we want when we're getting into these kinds of topics. Yeah, absolutely. That is you know, one of the things that I've learned um, over the years is that if I'm having, if I'm in a conversation where I'm, that, that I, I'm very passionate about, or I have a lot of strong opinions about, um, is to try to take a step back and not immediately react. You know, if I'm having an emotional reaction, stepping away is really the best thing to do to kind of allow the emotions time to pass and allow the thoughts to start flowing again because the emotions can really hijack your your rational thinking. And then you end up that's when we end up saying and saying things that we we really don't mean to. And I see that, that bring outcomes that are possible, po positive for everyone. Exactly. So in the comments, they brought up Airless Glory Limited, which I totally forgot to mention because that is a part of the Destroy All Girls story. And it brings us all the way from Destroy All Girls 
30 years ago, straight through to drug receipts right now. So in the merchandise that, you know, that that's out there now, what I'm wearing right now, somewhere in this tag that see that label in there, that is printed wash instructions. And in there, it says, you know, after machine wash, cold, tumble, dry, low, all the other stuff, it says airless glory limited LTD. And for those that don't know yet or already, that is an anagram of destroy all girls. So all the letters from destroy all girls just rearranged to say airless glory limited. Um, so again, obviously when I did that, it was an homage to the history of rollerblading, my legacy in rollerblading, what we did with Senate. Um, the, you know, clearly the intent was not to, you know, to, to bring back destroy all girls. And that, that's why it doesn't say destroy all girls. The idea was a lot like the idea of the original tag is that for the few skaters that, you know, that are familiar with the history, it's just kind of like an Easter egg to them. It'd be like, haha, I remember, I get it. Um, but in the context, you know, once <laughs> Dia, this is almost, this goes back to your question. It's like, you know, when did you, you know, when were you aware of kind of the, the wider reaction to it or other people's perspectives? The moment people start to be concerned about it, right? If, if there's room for this to be misunderstood to me, then it's not as much fun anymore, right? I put it out there as an Easter egg, kind of a love letter to other rollerbladers. It's just something for us. It's like an inside joke. And then if you learn the story and the backstory, you're, you can also be in on it and enjoy it as well. Um, but once, you know, there starts to be so much uh, um, unhappiness and unease surrounding it, then it takes some of the joy out of it. So I don't know if I would keep doing something like that if there's a chance that it's being misunderstood. Um, and not because, you know, not because I, like I said, I, I, will, I'm, I will never apologize for Destroy All Girls. Uh, I, I'm comfortable with the history of it and the meaning of it. And I'm comfortable with how we've evolved and progressed and matured from there. Um, but like I've always said, it doesn't mean that I would defend, defend it or do it again. And so if I'm put in a position where this is, you know, where people aren't comfortable with this, then you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to put up a fight. No, I'll move on. We've got plenty of other stuff uh, that we can get people excited about. I don't have to die on that hill, you know? Right. Um, but I do think it was fun. <laughs> Lulu, are you wearing an old? So when did you? Yeah, I am actually. Ghost brand? Which, yeah. Can you see the guy in the casket there? Jess Weefin? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is partially, you know, tied into this conversation as well, that there are th themes and ideas, which I've done in my history, which at the time I'm comfortable with. I understand where I was coming from, like as an artist and what I was trying to express. The fact that I'm not as comfortable with them anymore, that there are, th there are themes and ideas that I've abandoned or that I just don't really identify with anymore. Um, I went through a stage where I was doing a lot of stuff based on suicide making graphics that were like explicitly um, depicted suicide, you know, uh, razors going across wrists. They were all done cute and fun, but they were still pretty graphic and they were about suicide. Um, again, I could tell you my, you know, my artistic uh, justification, you know, suicide is an extreme expression of, you know, some kind of emotion, whatever. Um, but the fact is, I just, I'm not comfortable putting that out there and I wouldn't feel comfortable having to defend it anymore. So, for as many of the things that I have, um, I have included in the drug receipts line, that is not one of them. Suicide is not a theme that I, I feel comfortable um, dealing in it, dealing with anymore. Uh, so just like destroy all girls, just like suicide, I mean, that it is possible to grow 
and evolve and to change your perspective. You don't have to apologize for your art. You don't have to, it does. There are other young people out there or other artists out there who have, ex, who have experiences, who have um, voices that I may not agree with, that many of us may not agree with. In fact, if they're, if they're 19 years old, they should be doing things that I will never understand. Right. It's part of the, um, it's part of the charge of being a young person full of like um, idealism and anger and energy or whatever it is that raw energy that drives that drives uh art i mean if that is for them so do it do things that you will regret 30 years later um but don't don't let me right i i have no uh intention of telling any other artist what they should or should not be doing i can only be accountable for the things that i've done and talk about how um i have evolved and changed over the years I have a question for Lulu. Um, it, it must have been so amazing growing up with Arlo for a dad. <laughs> can't even, but do you remember when you first learned about um, Destroy All Girls and what your response to it was? Or like, or was there ever a point where you, you know, when you were younger that you, that it, 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 it had some meaning for you or you had ever coming up first yes it was very awesome growing up with Arlo as my dad um he has been an amazing father and now he's probably more of a friend but you know what I mean um and a friend who can yeah. thank you when you're bad no <laughs> he never did that and but so I I don't recall like being young and hearing about it. I feel like at that age, I probably wouldn't even care or understand. Um, but the time that I do remember talking about it was like pretty recently. So that's why I feel like it must not be the first, but it was within the past few years and I was visiting um, their office, my grandpa and my dad's office. And I saw a picture framed of the tag in there and I think I was asking about it and I was like what is this and then my dad explained what it was and the controversy it caused and honestly I thought it was kind of badass so <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like I share the same sentiments with my dad like that I wouldn't be comfortable doing something like that um but I think I don't know similar to him pushing buttons can be interesting and fun and yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too mad about it. I was a little confused, but intrigued. <laughs> yeah. Were you Arlo, were you aware of the Riot Girls movement at the time in the 90s? Uh vaguely, yeah, I'm sure. Was it didn't it start with like a comic? It? I think they were they were a band. They were like a punk band. Um I don't remember what it, it was some specific look like Washington, I think like maybe in Washington state or something. Um, and they kind of ended up going all across the country and doing, they did like zines and all, all sorts of interesting, but they were, they were punk and they were kind of feminist punk movement. Um, so I, and since I was just wondering if you were, if you were familiar with them at all, because they were, they actually ended up being sort of, big in the underground scene for for women right g r r maybe another r l s mm -hmm. <laughs> riot girls um was kind of an interesting thing. yeah i was definitely aware of it i you know i don't know how familiar 
I was with it. Certainly yeah, it's probably today, wasn't. I don't know much. Probably wasn't part of it, but I know that there's just like we've got um, skaters who who idolized you in their youth, who have now you know joined up with drug receipts and are still and are part of our community. We also have um, people who are you know in the Riot Girls kind of camp who did that that sort of thing who are also in our community. So we've got all. The, the, you know like just such a, a wonderful interesting mix um again it's just it's just wonderful if, if anybody watching this wants to come and and find a place where you can really be gently challenged and learn how to grow and you know meet interesting people the drug receipts discord is the place to do it for sure yeah, for sure. And the, the conversation is going on right now in the Discord. The con there's always conversation going on in the Discord. So if you're not in there yet, or if you haven't joined, uh, get an invitation, go get into the Drug Receipts Discord and be a part of the conversation. And please, by all means, use our rules of engagement to ensure the best uh, kind of conversation and to honor and protect the, the space that we've created for these kinds of conversations. Um, Dean, when you talk about Riot Girl, and the reason I hesitate to say anything, because I'm not sure if I'm actually thinking of Tank Girl instead of Riot Girl, but I, a picture comes to mind of goggles and like dreadlocks and uh, maybe it is Tank Girl, like in Wife Beater and like cargo shorts or something. Is that a thing? Am I thinking of a character yeah. and not a movement? Tank Girl, <laughs> I think you are. Yeah. Riot Girl was a band, was a band, and then they sort of became a, they started doing, um, yeah, zines and meetups uh, sort of all across the country. Joellen's confirming that it's Tank Girl. Okay, so sorry about that. You can disregard <laughs> me. You can re just retract that last bit. All right, so that was a fairly, uh, I think, thorough exploration on Destroy All Girls, the history of it, the evolution of the thought um, and attitude surrounding it, and a lot of some of the uh, related conversations that that spring forth from it. Lulu, Dia, is there is there anything that we have missed or that you guys would like to uh, address? Hmm. I don't know. I just want to. I just like to remind people watching um, at any point that you're watching this that you know it's important. It, we all have opinions. And we all have reasons for, for those opinions. And having a little bit of generosity and a little bit of care about our fellow humans goes a really long way. A little bit of understanding, a little bit of empathy. You know, you can never be wrong by just taking a step back and thinking, you know what, maybe it's me who needs to settle down and adjust myself and just listen. This is where all the learning comes in. It's where all the growth comes in. If you're feeling uncomfortable, chances are you're growing. So <laughs> we're here to help, um, not experts, but you know, maybe a little bit further down the path with a few more skills that we can pass on. And we welcome you to come in and grow with us, learn and grow with us. And I just wanted to say as controversial as you creating Destroy All Girls has been. I just wanted to thank you for, regardless of creating that, thank you for never exemplifying that in anything that you have ever 
done or the things that you have taught me. Um, I think that just you have done a great job at teaching me what it means to be a woman and a good person and you know that <laughs> that I'm no different than a man and that I can enjoy all of the same things. Um, and so yeah, I just wanted to clarify that even though you may make controversial art that you you do the right things. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Lulu. You know, I bet you're not even aware of this, but there are definitely deliberate choices that I made in your upbringing where I didn't want you to feel limited by uh, social con conceptions or notions of, of what it meant to be a man or a woman. Um, in particular, like even small things, like I, I would never say to you, you're such a sweet girl or, oh, what a smart girl. I would always tell you what a, you know, what an impressive human. You're such an amazing human. You know, I would always say things like that to you. I didn't want you to, I didn't want to form in your mind that there is some significant distinction between being a girl and being something other than that. So it really is satisfying to hear you give that feedback. So thank you. But also, especially, you know, to see what you've done with your life and what you're doing with your life, you know, in, in all the ways that, you know, that, that you have kind of um, manifest these things. You, you don't, you, you're not limited by anything, right? You, you are um, reaching your full potential as a person. Um, so, so thank you for that, baby. You make me feel comfortable to be a human, whatever, whatever human I am. <laughs> you're a great human. Aww. <laughs> thank um, you, sweet. Okay. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, Dia, Lulu, you are two wonderful humans. Thank you guys for coming on this journey with me. It was really nice having um, you both here. So thank you guys for being on here. Thanks to everyone who came in and has also been a part of this journey with us um, in the YouTube chat, in the Discord, for all of our drug snugglers that will find this after the live recording. We hope that you've gotten a lot out of it. If there are any other questions or if there's anything else that you, any of you would like to add to the conversation, you can find us in the Discord. We will continue the conversation there. Uh, hopefully some of the, the tools and the direction that Dia has provided for us, we will all um, keep that in mind as we engage with each other thoughtfully and uh, cordially, um, especially when tackling these um, provocative topic, topics. Uh, follow our socials at Drug Receipts on Twitter and on Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Drug Receipts. And if you're not in the Discord yet, get in there. We're having some really great, thoughtful, interesting, uh, and sometimes dangerous and explosive conversations. So thank you, Drug Snugglers. We love you all. Thanks, everybody, for put, helping us put together this podcast tonight. It's been a really special um, episode to be a part of. Uh, thank you. Love you all. We'll snug you later. Bye, everybody. Good night. Love you later. Bye.